Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Hello and welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Ken Sullivan. Today I'm teaching from the pastoral epistle of Titus chapter 3. I'm reading from the New International Version as usual for clarity. So grab your Bible, whatever version you have, and come along with us as we study the Word of God. I'm beginning with verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Christians are commanded to be good citizens. We are to be a law-abiding, civic-minded people who obey the law. In his letter to the church at Rome, Paul said, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. That's Romans chapter 13, verse 1. God established governments as a means of establishing orderly societies. Without government, the world would fall into anarchy, that is, complete chaos. Without laws and law enforcement, the world would be consumed with violence and confusion, and, and no one would be safe. So God established uh, governments in every society, even even governments that are not free governments are better than no government at all. Uh, because uh, if there was no government, then there would be no safety. People would do as they please. Criminals and wicked people would ride roughshod and take advantage. Uh, the strong would take advantage of the poor, and it would just be utter chaos. So God established governmental systems all over the world uh, so that we can have order some semblance of order in the world. Some governments, of course, are, are, are better than others. None of the world's governments are perfect because we live in a fallen world. Now, when Jesus comes again, the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. It's going to be God's kingdom overall. One kingdom ruled by God with the saints under God ruling. And that's going to be a perfect government. But until then, uh, we will not have a perfect system of government. But uh, every Christian who lives in a free society like America, um, our form of government, gives us certain freedoms. And every, every Christian who lives in such a free society should exercise their freedom and right to vote for people who represent our interests, the interest of good. We can help change bad laws and bad policies by exercising our right to vote. Um, the people who don't vote, for whatever reason, really shouldn't complain uh, about what kind of governmental leadership they get. So uh, if you don't vote, then just take your lumps quietly. Uh, but if you do, if you're voting, then we can get together and we can, we can change things. Um, God uses people to make government better. And we are... 
God's people. And so we should work for better government as we wait for Jesus Christ to to return and, and, and establish the perfect form of government with God overall. Paul tells us that we should be ready to do what is good. Christians should be known for the good that we do. That's how we let our light shine. In verse 2, Paul says, Christians should slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. Uh, Changing our behavior requires conscious effort and work. We have to change our demeanor. If, If we are in the habit of being harsh and abrasive to people, don't brag about that and say, and, and say, well, that's just the way I am. I just believe in telling people like it is. Well, usually people who are harsh like that, they can dish it out, but they can't take it. Uh, but aside from that, God tells us to change. So we're not to be harsh and abrasive. We are to be uh, gentle and, and kind to people. We are to uh, restrain ourselves from spreading uh, slander and gossip. Now, I know that gossip can be uh, a tasty morsel, the Bible says, and, and people who are, are prone to that uh, are tempted to continue that, but, but we have to restrain ourselves and not engage in that sort of thing, and we have to uh, rely upon the Holy Spirit, reading the Word of God, and uh, judge our own, uh, govern our own bodies, that is, to govern our own bodies and, and to uh, compel ourselves to do what is right. We can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God's Word, and so uh, we should feast on God's word and yield to his spirit. We have to work to be peaceable and considerate and gentle toward other people. It won't just happen to you. Um, you will have a propensity to uh, to slink back into your old way if, if you don't push yourself. God will help us, but we have to pray. We have to repent when we fall short, admit that we have done wrong, and ask God to to help us and be determined to live like God said to live. Paul commands Christians to slander no one again. And in Proverbs 10, 18, it says, slandering others makes you a fool. And of course, I don't don't think anybody wants to be a fool. So we need to uh, refrain from that, restrain ourselves, constrain ourselves to do what is right. Now I'm reading verses three through five. At one time, We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Now, before Christ came into our lives, we were foolish. We were ungodly. We were sinful people. And if you think that you were not, uh, and perhaps you were not any of those uh, things, but I'll tell you one thing that you were, you were a sinner. You were on your way to hell. And I don't care um, how good you think you were, you were not good enough uh, to stand before God in your own, own righteousness. And so we had to be saved from our old way, and we have to be transformed by the word of God and the spirit of God into this new way. Uh, We were deceived by Satan before we came to Christ, before uh, we received that love that he extended to us. We were deceived by Satan. 
into thinking that we were free and, and that we were doing what we wanted to do. Uh, most people who are out there now uh, doing all kinds of ungodly things, they think that they're exercising their own freedom, but they are deceived. They are not exercising their freedom. They're serving the, the wishes of the enemy. Uh, so they're thinking that they were free. I thought I was free at one time. Um, I thought I was free doing what I wanted to do, but I was laden down with the devil's agenda. But we were slaves to Satan and the ungodly passions and pleasures he wanted us to do, we were doing it. We embraced it as our own way, as our own thing that we were doing, but it was actually Satan whose who's bidding we were doing. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So their minds are blinded. They've been deceived. I was deceived. You were deceived. We were all deceived at one time until the glorious light of Christ shined into our lives and showed us a better way. Satan is referred to as the God of this world. That's because temporarily, because of the fall of man, he has rulership. He's a prince of the power of the air. Uh, and so he, he is dominating the world at this time during this age, but it's temporary. His rulership is going to come to an abrupt end when Jesus Christ comes. In fact, his rulership has already ended over the lives of those who turn to Christ. Uh, we have one king, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He rules over us. And uh, so we are no longer in Satan's kingdom. Uh, we, are no, we are no longer under his dominion, but we are under the dominion of, dominion of Christ, the dominion of Christ. Now, he tries to woo us and he tries to entice us and he makes trouble for us because at this time he has that power to do so. But we are shielded by the power of God. When you turn to Christ, you change masters and, and uh, Jesus becomes your Lord and master, then uh, he begins to shield you. and He begins to transform your life. And he begins to teach you the right ways of the kingdom of God. And your life begins to change and you become freer and freer from the dominance of Satan. So Satan is temporary God of this world in this age over all unbelievers until Christ returns. But unbelievers are blind to that fact. They don't know that. Satan has blinded their minds. And the Bible says that emphatically. We Christians were once under his spell too. We did not restrain our malice. Uh, we did not restrain our hatred and, and we let our envy have its full head. And we exercised ungodliness, being hated and hating other people. Uh, but the light of Christ came. Verses four and five says, but when the kindness and love of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Everything changed in the life of every true Christian when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared in their lives. That is, when you heard the gospel and responded to it, that light appeared in you, that kindness and that love of Christ appeared to you and in you. The kindest thing that God did for you 
was to send Jesus Christ to die in your place on the cross to rescue you from your sin and from Satan. God's kindness finally reached you when he sent someone to tell you about Jesus and the fact that he died and rose again to free you from sin and from Satan. That's the kindest thing that anyone had ever done to you. The evidence that he saved you is the deep desire that came into you to change from your old lifestyle uh, of sin and and to turn to a a new lifestyle of, of righteousness and obedience to Christ. You remember that day when you accepted Christ, how things changed. Suddenly in you, there was a desire. There was an earnestness to do what was right. And then there was a loathing uh, against doing what was wrong. You didn't want to do wrong anymore. You wanted to do right. You didn't want to displease God. Now you wanted to please him. That was the Holy Spirit bringing that thing to life in you. Your faith in Christ uh, caused him to send the Holy Spirit into your life and and the Holy Spirit began to bring the desires of Christ in you. The Bible says says in Philippians chapter 2, I believe it's chapter 2 and and around verse 12 and and, uh, 13 or 12 through 14, it says uh, that God is working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God gives us the desire and then God gives us the ability to do his will. Hebrews chapter 10, 16 says, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. So when Christ came into your life, when Christ came into you, you suddenly developed a, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and an earnest desire to please God. to Stop doing evil and to start doing good. That's when you were converted to Christ. Verse five says, God didn't rescue us because of anything righteous we had done, but simply because he is so merciful. Don't insult God by thinking you were chosen because you had some quality that got his attention. That's not true. We were all sinners worthy of death. Our salvation is an expression of his kindness and his love, not ours. So don't deceive yourself into thinking that uh, you were good and God saved you because you didn't do certain things or because you did do certain things that were good. Uh, you were a sinner on your way to hell. You were worthy of death. But Christ, in his kindness, reached out to you and saved you. Now I'm reading verses 6 and 7. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now, Paul gives us the mechanics of how God saved us. Number one, he washed washed away our sins through the blood of Christ and through the word of God. The blood washed us. And the word brought us the light and knowledge of the sacrifice of Christ so we could believe and be saved. Okay, so the blood washed us and the word informed us. And then number two, he gave us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. 
that was poured out on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's what Paul said. That's where the eager earnestness to please God comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit that enters you when you when you uh, confess your faith in Christ and you truly believe in him. The Holy Spirit comes into you and brings the life of Christ in you. Number three, because of his grace, that is his favor, he justified us. Now, that is, he removed the guilt and the penalty of sin from us. He made us right in his sight. And someone said, just to be justified is to be made just as if you had never sinned. So God cleanses us from our sins and he justifies us and he removes our guilt, that guilt of sin. And then number four, he made us heirs with the hope that he will, that we will in, in, inherit eternal life. Now that word hope doesn't mean just a wish. It means the confidence. He made us heirs with the hope that is the confidence or the expectation we expect that we will in, uh, inherit eternal life. We're going to live forever because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Now I'm reading verse eight. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Paul wanted to stress that the proper response to all that God has done for us is to devote ourselves to doing what is good. That's the proper response. We respond to his goodness to us by doing good. We can't repay God for all that he has done. And I know when we look at all that God has done and how good he is for us, there's something in us that want to pay him back. But he's done so much that we'll never be able to pay him back. We'll never be able to work it off. We'll never be able to, to pay him back. But what we can do is respond to his goodness and his kindness by demonstrating goodness and kindness to other people and by obeying his word. That's how we respond to his kindness. Now, the word devote means to give all or a large part of one's time or resources to something. Paul said we should be careful to devote ourselves to doing good works. We should be careful to give all of our time and resources to doing what is good and none of them to doing what is evil. To continue to live a sinful and wicked lifestyle in the light of all that Christ has done is to reject the spirit of grace. And we don't want to do that. Carefully devoting ourselves to doing what is good and right is excellent, Paul says, and profitable for everyone. It's profitable to God. It's profitable to us. It's profitable to our children coming behind us because we leave them a legacy of righteousness that's going to put them in good stead. Profitable to our spouses because it compels us to be kind and good to them and faithful to them. It's profitable to our neighbors because we're going to be good neighbors. And it's profitable to society at large. So as we are devoting ourselves to doing what is good and kind, we are a blessing to those around us and the society at large. Now I'm reading verses 9 through 11. 
But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Now, certain Jews took pride in talking about their family roots, that is, their genealogy and and how they traced it, could trace it all the way back to Abraham. They were taking pride in that, and they were going around talking about their genealogies. And, and they also argued and bickered about points of the law of Moses. Some even taught that it was necessary for the Gentiles to, uh, the Gentile converts to be circumcised and, and keep the law of Moses. That was divisive, and it was uh, heretical. It was false teaching. These things were foolish arguments and wasted time and and had no value. So Paul warned Titus very sternly not to allow such foolishness uh, to distract the saints from what is important. These were useless distractions and, and and Titus was not to allow them. The divisiveness was so dangerous to the church and to church harmony and unity that Paul told Timothy to give these people two warnings. Warn them once. If they keep on doing it, warn them again. And if they keep on doing it, then put them out of the church uh, until they repent. And don't let them back in until they repent of what they're, they're doing and, and turn away from it. People who are, rebel- who are rebellious and divisive, who disrupt church harmony, who oppose the clear teaching of Scripture and refuse to obey pastoral leadership, are warped. Paul said, they are sinful, they are self-condemned, and they need to be removed until they repent. That's as simple as that. Now I'm reading verses 12 and 13. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. So Paul had assigned Titus the task of overseeing the church in Crete until he could send a replacement. Artemis or Tychicus were the were the, the, the two men that he was going to send, one or, or the other of them, or perhaps both of them. He would then have Titus meet him in Nicopolis because he planned to spend the winter there. Again, Paul was away from, from Crete and he was doing uh, his work elsewhere. Um, now, there were three cities with the name Nicopolis. Paul was probably referring to the one in Epirus, that is, Epirus, Greece, which was built by Augustus to memorialize his victory over Anthony and, and Cleopatra at, uh, uh, at Actium. Uh, Nicopolis means the city of victory, and so Paul was going to spend the wintertime there, so that would be their place of rendezvous. He would meet with uh, Titus there after he sent uh, Tychicus or Artemis uh, there to replace him. Now, Paul mentions Tychicus several times in his epistles, but Artemis is really unknown. We can conclude, though, that both these men were faithful and reliable ministry companions of Paul who traveled with him, um, and, and he could depend on them to get the job done. Paul also, Paul also mentions uh, Zenos, the lawyer, 
and Apostle, uh, Apollos, Zenos and Apollos. And of course, we read about Apollos in, in, uh, in the book of Acts. And he urged Titus to assist them in their travels. Now I'm reading verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Now, although Paul is known for preaching salvation by grace through faith, he repeatedly stresses the importance of doing good works. In fact, throughout all of his epistles, he talks about grace, but he also talks about the importance of us doing good works. Paul is a strong proponent of hard work, industry, and productivity. He urged Christians to work, make money, take care of their own needs, and help those who can't work. So um, living unproductive life, uh, an unproductive life is, is, is a sinful way of life. Uh, just to be lazy doing nothing with your life is a, a, really a waste of life. God wants us to be productive citizens of the world and certainly productive citizens of the kingdom. The Bible tells us to be rich in good works, 1 Timothy 6 and 18. Now I'm reading verse 15. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Well, that brings us to the close of the book of Titus. Uh, join us for our next session of teaching through the Bible and and we'll begin studying another Pauline epistle. We're going to stay with the epistles of Paul for a while now. Now, if you live in the Indianapolis area, I'd like to invite you to come worship with us at New Direction Church here in Indianapolis, where my son, Kenneth Sullivan Jr., is the senior pastor. He's doing a, a great job leading the church here in uh, Indianapolis. We're located, uh, our um, east location is at 5330 East 38th Street. And our north uh, campus is located at 7701 East 86th Street. Our service times are 8.30 and 11.30 on 38th Street and 10 a.m. on 86th Street. Uh, I hope to see you at one of our services. I want to thank you for joining us again. And until next time, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Trust you've enjoyed this teaching. I want you to know that my book, Teach Me About Heaven, it's available on Amazon.com or you can get it at www.EmergeCurriculum.com. 